Hello and welcome to another episode of A Need to Read. Thank you very much for listening. In this episode, I'm going to be discussing the book The Art of Thinking Clearly by Rolf Debelli. Before I get into that, I'm going to run through a couple of things. The word Patreon, it might not mean anything to you, but to me, it means um, a really a way of me getting paid for my work, um, to put it simply. So I won't waste your time talking about this for too long, but if you like what I do, and you think it's cool and you want to get access to some bonus episodes and join the book club, then head to patreon.com forward slash a need to read. It's literally three ninety nine, which is the price of a fancy coffee each month, and you get two bonus episodes each month and you'll be part of the book club. Where you get to do extra live Q and A's and a live Q and A at the end of the month in the book club. So if that tickles your fancy, you know where to go. Patreon.com forward slash a need to read. If it doesn't, I'm not offended, don't worry about it. And secondly, this podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. They sponsor the podcast, which is fantastic, because not only does that mean that I get to continue making content, but secondly, it means that people can go to therapy through my encouragement, which is fantastic. If you have ever found yourself at your wit's end, if you have been or experienced burnout or anxiety or feelings of depression and you haven't really known where to turn if your government don't provide you a great health service where you can get access quickly to treatment or if you can't afford the standard face-to-face counselling, and that is where BetterHelp step in. They've provided an online therapy service to millions of people around the world, and all for that at a pretty cheap price, really. And you get 10% off as a need-to-read listener. So if you are fed up of going to your friends and taking their rubbish advice or going to family members and getting given rubbish advice or no one's really listening to you then head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read you get 10% off your first month and from there you can see a therapist and hopefully get on the road to being better even if you're not ill you just be on the road to being a better person which is pretty much what we're all in pursuit of I'm pretty sure so that's betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read for 10% off so let's get into the book review, The Art of Thinking Clearly by Rolf Develli. This was a very interesting book, albeit um, not a book that I flew through, mainly because it's 99 chapters of different biases, different thought patterns, different ways that your brain can trick you into thinking certain things. And there wasn't obviously much of a narrative to follow, so that's what made it in some sense difficult to read but it wasn't actually difficult to read because you could dip into it and read maybe three or four chapters a day and you'd fly through it within a month because they're only like two or three pages also that way you're not getting bored and you can spend a lot of time on each of the biases that show up so like I said there are 99 of those bit annoying that there wasn't a hundred because I feel like that would be a little bit cooler if there was 100. But there must be a reason why he stopped at 99. And if I'm honest, I don't have a clue why. But what I've done just for the review, in terms of the fact that I'll do an overarching statement now, that the book is good if you want to understand why you think certain things or how certain situations lead you, lead your brain to sort of trick you or mislead you in a certain way. So I've just literally written some of them down on a piece of paper and that's what I'm going to talk about. 
So firstly, the paradox of choice, I found that one quite interesting. So the paradox of choice is basically when you're given more choice, you slow down in your decision making or it kind of makes you think that you've made the wrong decision, which is weird. So if you get up in the morning and you've got loads of different things to do today and you've written them all down and there's just so many there, you'll do one and you'll probably regret doing that over the other ones. Whether if you just whittle it down to a bit more of a concise list, there is not too much of a choice and you'll be able to get things done quicker and you'll feel less regret for leaving out other things. So the paradox of choice, I think that plays such a big part in everyone's life. Um, so that was pretty interesting. The illusion of attention. Now, paying attention to things is obviously a good thing because um, where attention goes, energy flows, results show. As Paul Mort says um, in that episode, if you've listened to that, if you haven't, go and have a listen to it because it's a good one. But the illusion of attention, there's a quite a famous experiment, and I've spoken about this one before, where there is a video of these kids throwing around a ball and you the experimentees or the participants in the experiment are asked to focus on how many times the ball is passed around and while the ball is being passed around a gorilla obviously it's someone dressed up as a gorilla by the way walks past the back so because everyone's focusing so much on the ball being passed most of the participants in that experiment didn't notice that there was a gorilla or should I say somebody dressed as a gorilla going past because their attention solely focused on that thing and there was a time in England where there was loads of floods and I don't know if uh, wherever you live they have this but sometimes they have roads that go through streams it's a really shallow bit of the stream but where people were focused so much on the navigation they were looking at their maps they were looking at their phones people would go through this closed stream road whatever you want to call it and their car would be flooded because they're focused so much on one thing so basically the idea behind the illusion of attention is when you've got a goal or when you're focused towards something don't forget to just stop and try and look at the bigger picture and expand sort of what you're looking at because you can be just shafted by your brain really for focusing on one thing too much and that's the illusion of attention the sunk cost fallacy the sunk cost fallacy that was brought to my attention by james smith in his first book not a diet book which is very good the sunk cost fallacy is essentially when you've put so much effort or time into something you're unwilling then to walk away from it which can put you at a detriment let's say people are investing in the stock market i've done this recently i bought some spotify stock <laughs> I'm fifty pounds down already. I've got, uh, I did have seven hundred and fifty pounds worth of Spotify stock. I now have about six hundred and ninety something. But let's say I kept putting two hundred and fifty pounds a month into that, and I just kept doing it. And I was like, no, Spotify will go up. It will go up. It will go up. I've been trusting it for ages, even though I've only been trusting it for a couple of weeks. But if I kept throwing money at that and Spotify stock just started plummeting and plummeting and plummeting and I was unwilling to just take my money out and cut the loss, that would be the sunk cost fallacy at play because I'm unwilling to walk away from something because of effort or time or money that has been pumped into it so far. Similar thing happens in relationships. People will be in relationships for years and unhappy for the majority of those years, but they'll be unwilling to walk away purely because of the time invested which obviously puts you at a detriment because there might be someone better out there for you or 
I mean, as shocking as it may sound, you might just be better off on your own. So just be careful of the sunk cost fallacy um, playing part in your life. Social loafing was another interesting one. So social loafing is the idea that more people in a team doesn't actually necessarily mean that it's their effort times by how many of them there are. Good example for this is like, let's say there's me and three other people of equal strength pushing a bus. You're not getting three times my strength. Three of me couldn't push a bus anyway. But you're not getting three times my strength. What you're getting is probably maybe two two times. Because there's three of us, three of me, I'll be like, oh, I don't need to work that hard. Because there's other people here that can, can like bring up the average strength. So whenever there's a big team of people doing something, just be careful that people in those team aren't going to work as hard as if they're asked to work on their own or were given their own tasks. I think that happens a lot in business, like when you're given a team to do something. I remember when I would be set into a team in my old job, I'd be like, yes, I can DOS now. Go unnoticed, under the radar, easy, easy money. So social loafing is just a pretty cool thing um, that I saw in there. One thing that I related to um, quite a lot was the house money effect. Now, when you get paid by your job, you probably, I don't know what you do, you might spend some money on takeaways that month, or you might go out boozing, or you might buy some clothes, or you might buy something, or you might just save your money, or you might invest it somewhere. House money is an effect that happens when it's not your money, or you perceive it to not be your money. If you get inheritance, let's say you inherit some money, you'll spend that money differently than how you would spend money that you have earned yourself. So like when when people inherit money, they're like, right, but what can I buy that's big? Because I never have this amount of money. When logically, you should just spend it or use your money or keep it there how you would with any other money. I definitely don't do that. Like if I get a lump sum, I'm like, yes, buzzing. Never have this amount of money, let's spend it. Let's use it. So it was interesting for me to learn about that because, right, gambling, that's an interesting one. House money, obviously, it comes from casinos is, is where the house, you know, how the house always wins. When you win a large sum of money, you're more likely to gamble with that money than you would with your own. So say you win a grand at the casino, you're like, well, I didn't have this grand before I walked in anyway. When You could legitimately just walk out of that casino with a grand and you didn't have that before you went in. When I, I used to have a bit of a gambling problem. I wouldn't say that I was an addict, but I definitely did it way more than was smart. And I once won a grand on Barcelona when they drew like 3-3 three, three with someone. It was a Wednesday, it was Champions League. I remember it clearly. And I'd put 50 quid on them at half time when they were 3-1 down for it to be a draw. And I won a grand. I was buzzing. And I could have really done with that grand. I was probably earning about 1,500 quid a month. So that was like three weeks work. I gambled it away so quickly, so stupid. But it's that house money effect is in play. That's why that's quite interesting. The liking bias. The liking bias comes into play when someone's trying to sell you something. How many times has someone tried to like sell you something and you're just like, oh, well, I like them, so I'll do it. It is. It comes into play a lot in like MLM, so like multi-level marketing things or pyramid schemes, um, whatever you want to call them. 
people will be super, super kind to you to make you like them so you then buy their products. When I left the Marines when I was younger, uh, one of my dad's cousins like messaged me on Facebook and he was like, oh, got this. he was basically just being really, really nice to me about the Marines and then he tried to get me into his multi-level marketing thing. I doubt he's listening, but if he is, there's no hope that I would have ever signed up for MLM. Thank you very much. So that's that's how they work so be very careful when someone's being really really nice to you when they're trying to sell you something uh unless it's me obviously join my patreon i love you nah but you know what i mean you're you will have seen it in different places in your life where people are being really really kind to you and unfortunately it's just because they want you to buy something off them let's have a look else what's there the zaganic effect the zaganic effect I've, I've spoken about before in terms of like remembering what to do or how your brain can get clogged up. So if you think about your to-do list, let's say, for me, I've got to write an article at the moment and I haven't done it. I've, I've done most of it, but it's just, it's taken up brain space. And as soon as I've done it, I'll be able to forget about it and I'll be able to move on. And that's the Zaganic effect. Or let's say, um, you know that you've got to put something in the oven before you go out. All that time running up before you go out, you're going to think, I need to put it in the oven, need to put it in the oven, need to put it in the oven. Or let's say you're a waiter or a waitress and you take someone's order. You take someone's order and then you get distracted on the way to telling it to the chef and you haven't written it down. You're far more likely to remember someone's order, even when you've been distracted, because it's it's taking up a lot of space in your brain. So the Zagarnik effect, just to explain it way better than I have just there, it was an experiment that was done in 1927 and it basically happened because Zagarnik, the Russian psychologist, took her students out for dinner. When they went out for dinner, she was so impressed by the fact that the, the waiters and the waitresses remembered everything, even the spe like specifications from their meal without writing anything down. The next day, she thought she'd left her scarf there, so she asked the waitress. She goes, "Oh, was my scarf left here?" And she was like, "I, like, uh, I don't remember you being in." She's like, "What?" But like, you remembered all the spec, like the specifics of my order. You, everyone else thought you didn't didn't even write it down. So what happens is, as soon as it's out of your brain, it's forgotten. As soon as it, the task is completed, it's out of your brain and it's forgotten. And that's just a strong argument for just doing stuff straight away so it doesn't take up brain space, doesn't clog up the like funnel of thoughts that you had. Because if you think of your brain like an hourglass, at the top of the hourglass are all your thoughts. And the larger the thoughts or the larger the task that you're not doing or you're not paying attention to, they're going to block up that hourglass, blocking up the flow of thoughts, which is pretty detrimental to you if, if you do that. <laughs> which is a pretty, I don't know, even know if that's a good explanation, but I'll make up for it. The authority bias. Like people do what they're told all the time by someone that they think has some sort of like form of authority. You know, when you're younger, you do something and then it, you were naughty and you're like, well, they, someone else was doing it or someone told me to do it. Everyone's done that. And then someone's like, oh, well, if they jumped off a cliff, would you? It's like, well, no, obviously I wouldn't because I'll probably be, pretty upset that my mates just jumped off a cliff I'm not going to jump after them but when it comes to like doing other things like uh, smoking when you're a kid you know when you go to a party like 16 someone else has been smoking I used to blame it on my mate Aiden. shout out Aiden, who won't be listening um, I used to go to his house we'd smoke and then I'd come home 
and I'd just say to my mum, like, oh, Aiden was smoking around me, that's why I smell, it's crazy. And obviously, they knew that Aiden wasn't the bad influence on me, it was just me just choosing to do it myself. But when it comes to someone that you like respect or like telling you some telling you to do something, you're more likely to do something outside of your moral sort of scope or compass or whatever you want to call it. And there was an experiment done in 1961 by a guy called Stanley Milgram. And he basically got the participants of the study to sit there whilst an authority figure or the leader of the experiment told them to administer electric shocks to someone in another room so they couldn't see them they could just hear them so on the like it was an actor that was in there he wasn't getting electrocuted people going ah ah as as the shocks went up but even when the participants were like questioning like the how ethical it was or whether they should be giving out these electric shocks to people the authority figure or the boss or whoever's in charge of the experiment would just be like, hey, it's it's important for the experiment, keep going. Over 50% of the participants took it to the maximum dose. And when the maximum dose was like a maximum voltage was administered, there was like screams of pain. But because they were told to do it by an authority figure, they were told that it was important for the experiment that they continued to like do that. They just did it which is crazy so like a like a policeman telling you to do something because the authority bias like you're going to do it even if it's outside of your realms of like what you would normally do i don't know if you would do that but that's what the authority bias would say so he says like when you're making a decision just question like where this decision is actually coming from where like what authority figure has influenced this for you Another one is called the chauffeur knowledge. Now, this is so... This is me. <laughs> there's people with real knowledge out there. Then there's people that just give you knowledge that they've read or knowledge that... Maybe it's not me, actually. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh on myself. But there was a guy, he went to go and deliver a speech and he sent. He thought it'd be quite funny if he sent his chauffeur up there. And then when the chauffeur got asked questions because he could deliver the speech perfectly because he'd heard it hundreds of times. When he got asked questions, he was like, oh, that's a really simple question. Let my chauffeur answer it. And the chauffeur was the one who was actually meant to be given the speech anyway. So chauffeur knowledge is essentially stuff that you don't understand, but you can spit it out word for word. So actually, I take it back. I don't have chauffeur knowledge. I'm not going to go as far to say that I've got general decent knowledge um that's my self-esteem playing a part guys oh sad um just kidding lost where i am lost my thought chauffeur knowledge basically just make sure that you have a real knowledge not just stuff that you've listened to or learned that you're just then spitting out make sure you're understanding it so that if someone was to question you on it you would then understand it which i'm not making a seriously strong case for at the moment actually when you think about it because that just sounds like I've just read it and I'm talking to you about it, which would be true. Now, this one's actually quite apt at the moment because think of all of the conspiracy theorists and I can hear some of you now saying, it's not conspiracy, it's true. Shut up. Um, confirmation bias. This actually works on both sides, really. Like, whatever your belief is before you make the point or before you make the statement about a fact said loosely that you've looked up 
confirmation bias is that you're only going to look for evidence supporting your point of view. Let's think about... Where can we think about this? Anti-vaxxers. They're like, oh, well, vaccines give you autism. I'll find this study that proves it. So they find the study that proved that some sort of vaccine in the 80s was um, increasing autism in children who got the vaccine. That was actually disproved in the 80s as well, I think. But that could be confirmation bias at play because that's what I'm I'm looking for something to disprove the legitimacy of the claims that autism in children is affected by vaccines. I hope you understand where I'm going with that is that essentially you're going to have your own set of beliefs or you've already made your mind up about something and you're only going to look or listen to or believe supporting evidence for that and you'll disregard anything that says otherwise. And that's the confirmation bias. Now that was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That was eight. It wasn't ten percent. Shall I? Get, I'll, I'll do another nine. Uh, no, no, I won't do another nine. I'll do another one. Um, volunteer, a volunteer's folly. This is actually very good. I was speaking to my sister about this the other day. When, and I'll tell a story actually, as opposed to that. So let's imagine you're a photographer. And you're a really good photographer and you get paid £500 an hour to be a photographer. You want to do something a bit more meaningful with your life. You want to do something that gives back a little bit more than your photography work that you get paid £500 for. And someone approached you and they're like, hey, um, we're going to do some volunteer work this weekend. And we're going to build some birdhouses for the endangered species in the forest that's near us. Would you like to come and volunteer your time? And you're like, yeah, no, I'd love to. I'd love to give back. I'd love to do that. It is actually worse that you go and volunteer your time than if you were to just do two hours of your normal work and then pay some carpenters to go and make the birdhouses. So let's say you make £500 an hour. You work for two hours. That's £1,000. Let's say you can get a carpenter on for £40, £50. Let's say £50 an hour for the sake of the story. You can get... 10 carpenters for two hours with that grand that you get for two hours of work so it's actually better for you to go to work and then pay someone to do the volunteering for you than it is for you to go and volunteer but you'd feel better for volunteering your time it doesn't that make you think because I, I can think of um i i went and volunteered at brixton homeless shelter one of my friend was doing a like a food bank there I think maybe, well, actually, at the time, I was getting about zero pounds per hour, so it was good for me to volunteer my time. But now it would be better off me paying someone to go and cook for them or to go and uh, serve up the food. It would be a lot better for me to do that. Do you, do you get what I mean? So next time someone asks you to go and volunteer, just say, hey, have you ever heard of the volunteer's folly? And then you get out of it and then you can just pay someone to go for you. And I think that's brilliant. I know it's pretty cool to give up your time and I'd like to do some volunteer work at some point, but this is throwing a spanner in the works. And uh, listen to this, anyone who profits or feels even the slightest satisfaction from volunteering, you're not a true altruist. You're doing it for yourself. It's all self-serving. Think about that one. So that is nine 
of the 99 little ways that your brain will trick you. So there's cognitive biases and they work every day. So if you want to understand sort of how your brain works or how your brain's tricking you, get this book. It's pretty good. 300 odd pages, 99 things that you'll learn. You won't be able to remember all of them because don't forget that you can't remember everything that you read and people seem to think that that is a possibility. And really, it's not. Actually, let me just spend a little bit of time on that because people always ask me what's the best way to remember what you read. And there's loads of different ways. You can highlight things. You can teach it to other people. You can write about it. You can do loads of these things, but people aren't willing to do that. So because you're not willing to put in the work, like to teach it, to journal about it, to do your own summaries of the chapters, the best mindset to adopt is really that you're just not going to remember everything from the books that you read. As soon as you accept that, the more fun you're going to have with it because there'll be little bits that stick out to you. So let's say you finish a chapter on a book, you can then summarise that in your own words on a bit of paper, you can go and then find the bits that you found enjoyable and then highlight them. Don't just sit there reading a book with a highlighter highlighting everything because you're actually not doing anything by doing that. You're, you're literally just highlighting a page. It's not going to make that quote stick in your brain anymore. So the best way to do it is to write about it afterwards and then to tell someone about it. That's probably why I remember more nowadays than I ever have before because I speak about it so much. So just make sure when you're trying to remember what you read just don't put too much pressure on yourself because look we're not all geniuses me included in case you hadn't picked that up it takes a lot to remember everything you've read and if you're trying to read a lot of books then you're definitely not going to remember everything you read but that's it that was a, that was a little bit of a rant on remembering what you read because uh remembering what you read that was uh not how i usually speak but that is it. Thank you so much for listening. You're all absolute legends. Don't forget, if you need therapy, head to betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read. You get 10% off your first month and you'll be making the steps to get yourself better if you are unwell or there is a chemical imbalance or if you just want to get your life together. And if you want to be a legend, go and join the Patreon. Three ninety nine a month. You get to support me. I give you bonus episodes. You get to join a book club. And then you can tell all your friends that you're in a book club and they'll probably think that you're the coolest thing since sliced bread or since uh, Galaxy have just bought out a chocolate orange version of Galaxy. And that's amazing. And I think that's pretty cool. So yeah, go and join the Patreon. That's the end of my waffle. I think you're all absolute legends. Thanks so much for listening once again. Love you. Bye. <laughs>